Hey everyone, it's Laura looking for love, and as we are right in the middle of the holiday season, it's a good time to look at our past, where we've been, and also where we're heading. During the Thanksgiving holiday last month, I did a podcast called The Most Potent F-Word, and it wasn't one of the most listened to podcasts, probably because the title might have caused some confusion, but also because the F-Word I was talking about was family. And family is one of the biggest challenges of our human experience because it resides in the land of the gray. Things are much easier at black and white because when things can easily fit in one box, it's easier to contain and also easier to know how it will affect us. Things in the good box can't hurt us and the things in the bad box we know to stay away from. So for example, have you ever known anyone, maybe even yourself, who has ever chosen a job they didn't like because it was in the good box? That's most of us, right? And a lot of times the jobs that are labeled to be in the good box are the safe jobs, the ones that provide security and consistency, and the ones that reside in the world of black and white, that often follow strict rules, deal with facts and numbers, like accounting, pharmacy jobs, to name a few. Not to say that some people aren't really meant to be accountants or pharmacists. If you truly enjoy your job, there is a reason, and that is your calling. But if you're in a safe job that you hate, if you're just going through the motions, there is a reason too. So with family, we often put it in the good box, the box that is safe, trustworthy, and can do us no harm. And we do this because family is part of our survival. Family birthed us and raised us and loved us. There are exceptions, but for the most part, family loves its members. But because the love is so strong, fear often develops from not wanting to lose it. The more valuable something is perceived, often fear enters our consciousness over its potential loss. For example, for women, we don't care about the cheap costume jewelry we wear for fun, but if we were decked out in diamonds, there may be a fear of someone wanting to rob us as we walk down the street. We may be more guarded because we value our diamonds more than our costume jewelry. And our family members are our diamonds. So not meaning to hurt each other, we protect each other unnecessarily, blocking the other from harm. But the thing about blocks is that it has no filters. So blocking us from harm also blocks us from everything else. And within that everything else lies a land of joy, experience, and freedom. And while we have the intuition to know we are being blocked from everything, we somehow fight our entire lives to accept it because we need to keep our family in the good box. Because moving it to the land of the gray will throw our whole reality out of balance, and into chaos. And then what will we do? So I watched a couple movies recently in the theater, and they couldn't have been more opposite. The first was The Disaster Artist with James Franco, who I have to say was really brilliant in this movie. And the other was Coco, the animated film about family versus dreams. So I watched The Disaster Artist first, and granted I did go on a weekday, but it was the opening week and there were only two other people in the theater. And when I saw Coco, it was a packed house. Both movies got rave reviews, but Coco was much more of a fan favorite in the community where I live, which is predominantly Latino. And Coco not only is a story about family, but from the perspective of a Mexican boy during Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead. So there were a lot of cultural components, and I could feel the energy of nostalgia, relatability, and joy in the audience when a cultural reference was made because the majority of the audience had experienced it themselves. It was familiar, and because it was familiar... It was safe, it was acceptable, and it also validated people's own life experience and normalized it. When suffering is validated and normalized, 
there's a little healing that happens in our souls because we feel that we aren't alone in our experience. And that is what I was watching as I watched the screen and the audience and the interaction between the two. But sometimes during our times of healing and validation of knowing that others are experiencing the same thing, we get stuck in the fact that it's normal. And we allow ourselves to remain in unhappiness because everyone is unhappy or everyone hates their jobs. And while I did enjoy Coco for its entertainment value and could relate to it as well, I left the theater very aware of the continued stuckness because if you want a movie that is family-friendly and popular and accepted by mainstream culture, then you must not deviate too far from what already exists and you must keep family in the good box. And what I loved about The Disaster Artist was that there was no box. It was just one man's story. He was not a huge commercial success. He was not super famous. But he had a great story, and it was one of freedom. Sometimes if we don't recognize the name of the person, or movie, or book, or brand, we want nothing to do with them. And we miss a huge opportunity to expand our consciousness and to be inspired. There is often genius in that which is so outside the box. Coco was about a familiar topic, one that has been with us since the beginning of time. Family rules conflicting with following our dreams. So we are naturally drawn to it because it's familiar. The Disaster Artist is about a virtually unknown man with no family, no identifiable culture, even speaking with an unrecognizable accent. He is unfamiliar and unrelatable to most people on the surface. So although both movies got rave reviews, Coco was a much more popular choice because it was familiar. And we walk toward familiar like robots, when we could be running toward that which is not, because that is where all the possibility is. For my 40th birthday, I took a cross-country trip from L.A. to Savannah, Georgia, and along the way I stopped in Memphis. And Memphis was such a magical place for me. There's this trolley that runs through the downtown area, and I met a friend in one of the drivers. His name is Maurice, and he goes by Reese. Well, one day I was on Maurice's trolley and a man in his 60s with dreadlocks, clothes a bit tattered, gets on the trolley, sits across from me and starts just talking out loud to himself at first and later to anyone who would listen, saying how he's famous. He's a famous artist. And because he was shouting it, it made him seem a little crazy, like he was responding to the voices in his head. There were both locals and some out-of-towners on the trolley and the locals ignored him and the foreigners really ignored him. You know that type of ignoring that says, I can't even look you in the eyes because I'm afraid of you type ignoring? But to me, he wasn't crazy at all. I actually felt truth in what he was saying, and I was curious about his art. I told him to show me some of his pieces in his notebook. And you know what? They were amazing. I said, you are good. I actually wanted to buy one of his drawings, but I only had $5 on me at the time, and I didn't want to insult him. But the next day, I saw Maurice on the shuttle still thinking about this man, whose name is Luther, who was so fascinating to me, and I asked him if he knew where I could find him, because I wanted to buy a drawing before I left. He told me he always gets on the trolley, and that he would tell him to meet me at my hotel and page me. Well, he never came. So later that night, Maurice and I had to track him down on my last night in Memphis. He got a hold of him in a cell phone, and told him to meet us on one of his city rounds. We drove around for at least one city round before Luther finally met us at one of the stops. Turns out that Luther is a renowned street artist in Memphis. He's so well known to those in the know that Michael Jordan, when he was in town, bought a sculpture from him. So I told him I wanted to buy a drawing from his notebook, 
but he also wanted to draw a portrait of me on the trolley. So we rode around some more while he drew me, and in the meantime, some college-aged out-of-towners, drunk and loud, got on. And when he was done, I looked down at the representation of me on the paper, through this man's eyes, and thought, This looks nothing like me. And I say, Luther, this looks nothing like me. Oh, it sure does look like you, Laura. I said, have you ever seen an Asian woman before? Yeah, I lived in Japan. So the out-of-towners start to take notice of our conversation and want to see the picture for themselves. And they all concur that it looks exactly like me. But they are from the Midwest and they're drunk. So I don't put too much weight in their opinion at this point. So while I decide which drawings I want to buy from Luther, he says he wants to show me a studio. I know he's not a pervert or dangerous, and I am so curious about this studio where Michael Jordan has been to buy one of his pieces. But Maurice says, hey, Laura, I'll take you. I can sense there's some hesitation from Maurice about me going to his studio on my own, but not because he doesn't trust Luther. It's for something else, but I ignore it and brush him off. I said, it's all right, I'll get off with Luther and we'll walk. Maurice says after he gets off of his shift, he'll pick me up at Luther's and take me back to my hotel, because Luther doesn't have a car, and the shuttle stop after midnight. So I agree. So here I am, walking with Luther and one of his other sidekick friends, who I also bought a drawing from, and we walk to his studio apartment in the projects of Memphis. But before we get there, we stop at the convenience store slash fast food place, and Luther shows me all his drawings there so I can pick before we get to his apartment, because he said, it's a mess. And while we're there, another man comes up to me, trying to hustle me into a sale, which makes Luther really angry, because he found me first. Luther is an amazing artist, but he's still a little hustler, which only adds to his charm. So I've narrowed down the drawings I'd like to buy, and we leave to go to his studio. As we enter, there are cockroaches on the floor and guys hanging out in the stairwell and in the lobby. We go up the elevator, and it's this hoarder's paradise of stuff and art and sculptures. I walk around a bit, and I see this big wooden carving. I say, Luther, did you carve this? He said, yeah, that right there, Laura, it's a quarter of a million dollars. I laugh to myself and say, well, one day, Luther, when I make the big bucks, maybe I'll buy it from you. It takes guts, after all, to price a creation at 250000 and with such pride and certainty. So when he's done giving me his studio tour, I tell him I want to buy the self-portrait of himself done in ballpoint pen, and I decide to also buy the portrait he drew of me, even though it looked nothing like me, because it was the way he saw me in that moment, and there was something cool about that. So right when I was about to pay him, he said, how about 50 for both? I said, no, Luther, you already told me 20, so I'll give you 40 for both. Yeah, yeah, Laura, that's cool. You should have seen the smile on his face when I handed him the $40. I found out later from Maurice that locals only pay him $5 a drawing. We got a good laugh. I told him at least I didn't pay 250000 for his sculpture and that his art was well worth the $20 I paid. I thought, too bad that the locals can't quite yet see his genius. So just after I bought my two drawings, Maurice called, and I was ready to go back to the hotel and pack to leave Memphis in the morning. I came down to meet Maurice with his souped-up leather interior ride. I was like, damn, Maurice, you got a side gig? He had plastic bags and towels covering all the parts of the car where I would be sitting, and once I got in, he said, Laura, did you sit anywhere in his apartment? No. Okay, because you know Luther got bed bugs. Just so you know... Two of my biggest concerns about traveling cross-country were bedbugs and the KKK, in that order. I was like, what? I was trying to tell you, Laura, 
That's why I was like, I'll give you a ride. Well, you should have tried harder to tell me. Well, I couldn't say anything. I didn't want to offend Luther. Laura, this is what you do. When you get into the hotel, you take off all your clothes and your shoes, stick them in a bag, tie it up, take it down to the dryer, and run it. Okay. Thanks, Maurice. I hope I didn't give you bed bugs. So it turns out I didn't get bed bugs. I didn't give bed bugs to Maurice, but I got two new friends and two beautiful drawings that I would have never manifested in my experience had I walked toward familiar. All right, everyone, that's all for today. Enjoy the holidays, enjoy the familiar, but I also hope you open yourselves up a little to that which is not. For more info on the Bonsai Babes Empowerment Center, go to thebonsaibabes.com, and I will be back here next week.